Hello and welcome to In Conversation with Lisa Burke for RTL Today. This is our very first podcast and it's with great pleasure that I am pleased to bring to you John Paul Gomez, often known as JP Gomez. And perhaps you will know him best as the writer, the name, the uh, faceless man behind the worst. JP, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Now, just thinking about your life in Luxembourg, the very first question for many of us is, what brought you to Luxembourg? Love. Oh, love. And love. and was the love in Luxembourg? <laughs> is she from Luxembourg? No, she's not from Luxembourg. But my love got a, got a job here. And so I followed my love here. Oh, and how many years ago was this? That was about 13 years ago. So you have seen change in Luxembourg. Yes, I have. Yes. And you've also had both of your children here. Yes. So we're planted... We've grown roots. And they continue to grow. Exactly. <laughs> well, just uh, firstly, yourself. So life before Luxembourg, you are from America. Tell us more about that. Where are you from? So I'm originally from Colorado and I lived there until I was, uh, well, through university. And when I was about 23, uh, my now wife and I moved to New Orleans and we lived there for about four years. And we left just before Hurricane Katrina hit. We moved to Barcelona. Where we had a couple of fun years, but difficult years, impoverished years. Yes, then my wife got a job uh, offered to her in, uh, in Luxembourg, and she's from Nancy. She's French, so just nearby. And that's it. And so we packed up our two suitcases and we moved here with literally our two suitcases. Well, there's a few questions here. How did girl from Nancy end up in Colorado? <laughs> well, as as it turns out, we met each other in Norwich, England. We were both doing a year abroad there. And uh, afterwards, she worked in Paris for a year and I went back to Colorado to finish my studies. She wanted to move to the US. And so we just decided that New Orleans was sort of a good place to go. I'd been there once for one evening and I thought it was a really, really cool place. And they've got a lot of uh, French history there some French speakers out in Cajun country still. And so that's it. So we, she got a job there and so did I. We moved there together. And just thinking about your name, Gomez, it certainly isn't a typical Caucasian American name. <laughs> no, it's not. And a lot of people here in Europe will um, find that sort of funny that I'm an American guy with the last name Gomez. Although I often point out that in the U.S. now with the demographics, it's quite common and increasingly common. Lopez, Gomez, Rodriguez. And so you, you could almost say it's almost like a, a Smith or a Jones these days. There are a lot of Spanish speakers, especially in the, in the southwestern part of the country. So where I'm from, it actually doesn't seem that unusual, but it's funny that everyone here uh, strikes them as being somehow like not American. But it must mean that you have some kind of Spanish background within your own family history. Yes, my father's sisters, I think, moved to northern New Mexico about 400 years ago. They moved there early on. So they weren't quite <laughs> native, America. but they weren't native. Yes, exactly. <laughs> my father's family, they always lived with other Spanish speakers in New Mexico and Colorado. And in fact, my father grew up speaking only Spanish when he was little. My grandparents spoke Spanish as a first language, which is kind of weird because they were always in the U.S. Well, I mean, it is like the second language there in some parts of the country. But just moving across to Barcelona and then now into Luxembourg, you had to set up as the follower, as the trailing spouse to your wife. How was that? Uh, it feels a bit difficult as a man because you there's still the the idea that the men are supposed to lead the way. That's what it feels like anyway, and that the men should have um, should be the breadwinners and have the have the like the, the highest paying job. And so it it does feel a bit mm, emasculating. <laughs> emasculating, perhaps yes, and. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 a bit, it's a bit different. But do you not feel that is shifting in our generation? 
I think it is shifting. It should be shifting. And I, I'm sure there are plenty of couples in which the the woman is has the more higher paying job or has a kind of a bigger, larger status. But it still doesn't seem that way in kind of a polite society. It seems like people still sort of regard me with a bit of suspicion or curiosity. Like, well, what, what, what? So your wife works, has got this really demanding job. What do you do? What's your, you know, I'm trying to figure it out. And so I often try to justify it by by explaining how long it takes, how much time and energy is required to take care of kids, because I do that much of the time. Well, care of my two kids. I, I think many of us, uh, <laughs> many of the people <laughs> listening, will know just how demanding that is. And um, yes, I have two children as well, a little bit older than <laughs> your two children, and we certainly know yes. what that means now. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, but on on the point of status, we will come to the fact that you are the the man who created the verse, which has just grown into this sensational piece of satire for Luxembourg. Um, so, where did the idea for that come from? Well, I had previously had. A, um, a humor and satire website, but it was based on the U.S. and U.S. news and, and culture and politics. And it was just, I worked really hard on it for about three or four years and it just didn't take off. And so prior to that, I was an English teacher. And so I thought, well, I really need to go back to, to teaching now, which I, I like. I, I like, it's just not, it wasn't something exciting and fresh. And then I thought, well, why don't I launch a satire website based on life in Luxembourg? Because like many people, when I first moved here, I, I had a lot of strong reactions, some good, some bad. And I had some really strong first impressions. And so I just didn't know if there were enough English speakers here for it to work. And so in the beginning, I thought that maybe my friends would just sort of appreciate it because I had set up a website before. So I set up the Luxembourg Verst website thinking, well, yeah, maybe, you know, a few of my friends or their friends will appreciate some of the, the jokes. I was surprised at some point to know that people outside of my group of friends were, were reading it and sort of caught on and made a bit of a splash. I think it, it's just, it, it hits the nerves. Like you say, um, people moving here and there's many of us, we notice things, particularly that fresh first few months when mm-hmm. everything's hitting you as a comparison to wherever it is that you've come from. Uh, so where do you get your ideas? You've been here now a number of years to keep that freshness. Well, I have to admit it, it's tricky at times um, because I'm, I'm aware that I'm now writing for other people. So I'm not just writing for myself and what are my, you know, my feelings or my initial reactions to having moved here. So I would say I just get ideas just from walking around. Sometimes if I'm on the bus, I'm just sort of spacing out or I notice something, something funny. And I do try to keep up on the local news and sort of combine that influence with what I see being out in the city. And also, I so I live in Rollinger Grund in Luxembourg City. And it's just, I think it's probably really representative of Luxembourg City as well, because there's a mix of, of cultures, a mix of languages there. There are some people who are really affluent, some people who are not affluent. And so I just sort of watch and see how they interact. And what gives me a big kick is just to see the sort of the confusion and awkwardness that can result from different cultures coming together and trying to live side by side peacefully. But sometimes it's just the result can be awkward and funny. Which is how it is in in many, many cities in the world. But I suppose what's quite different here is the plethora of languages around us. But when you're writing satire, you're right on the edge of potentially offence to some people. And I know at RTL today, because some of your pieces from Versa are on our site, sometimes people don't recognise it as not news. And we do get people writing in sometimes. (laughs) And um, How do you take that yourself when you get feedback when somebody's being offended? Well, I did put a disclaimer on my website that um, 
basically the responsibility of the offended party is with them. So they've got to deal with that themselves. I, I do think a lot of it is rather lighthearted and I make an attempt to be the irony clear, I hope. So I do feel in a way if, if someone is offended, it's kind of their fault. <laughs> they, like they've, they've chosen to be offended. I do have a bit of guilt, however, because I don't, my, my point is not to, my goal is not to offend people or to, to poke them in a sore spot or to even trick them. So I guess in those cases, when people are offended, I would, I would try to maybe make an effort in the, in the future to just make it a bit more obvious that this is, this is fake, this is satire, this is irony. Don't take it at face value. And how do you marry your work, your writing work, which takes mental space, not just the space to sit down and write, but as you say, a lot of creatives really enjoy that time on a bus, on a tram, walking. How do you find the time in your life, also being full-time dad with young children, how do you manage your time? Well, that's that's pretty tough, especially these days, because my children have only been in school until the basically midday. Uh, so I've got to take all of that relaxed creativity time and just condense it into a couple of hours and make sure it happens in the morning. So that usually uh, requires a few cups of coffee. <laughs> I feel the pressure now. Okay, JP, you've got, you've got three hours. You better, you better do something now. And thinking about life just at home as well, before this conversation, you were writing some notes to me about how it was as a dad at home and how it's not just dads who feel this, but mums at home also feel they have to do something to feel valued. So mm-hmm. If it's the housework, if it's the organization of, I don't know, kids' activities, how did you make yourself feel useful at home? Well, I, I do all of the housework, the shopping, the cooking, the cleaning. And so that does, that does count as something. A lot of time as well. Yes, it's, there's a lot of time and also monitoring the kids, homework, things like that. And I often, I try to take them out and in, in, when we've got free time, like improve their English because they go to Luxembourgish school. So it's, I'm trying to teach them how to read and write in English. Um, but still, even after all that, I still have the, the feeling that some of my, some of my friends or people in my circle still don't really see that as, as kind of work. They see it as just sort of fun or relaxation. It's definitely fun or relaxing. Often I have found in my own experience, but perhaps it's different for others. Yeah, it, it is fun. It is it is relaxing. I enjoy it. It's just t- it just takes time. Like it really, I can you know look at the clock in the morning and say, okay, I've spent an hour and a half. They're they're off to school now, but I've spent an hour and a half sort of getting them ready, taking care of them, making sure the you know they've not left too big of a mess. Um, so my friends, like my male friends, for example, if I say to them, you know, oh man, I had a busy day. I I cooked, I cooked for the kids three times. I, and then they'll sort of look at me and say, well, why don't you, they don't cook for themselves? Or why don't you just give them pasta? Or I, something like that. As the primary caretaker, care for the children, I feel sort of that burden. Like, no, I've got to, you know, this, this is a real, this is a, a real, uh, real job. It absolutely is a real job. It certainly is. So marrying that life at home with the writing and the creativeness of your life, where do you where do you find the time for yourself in the space to think about the future or where you want your career to go? Are you feeling it gives enough back to you this? Is this a stepping stone to something else in the future? Yes, definitely. I, I've got a lot of ideas and plans for various video projects. Um, I would like to make a transition into into video comedy or film comedy. And there's already videos out there. Yes, there are a few. We've made a few with some friends. They're on the uh, Luxembourgverse Facebook page. And uh, I've created a YouTube, Luxembourgverse YouTube channel recently. So at the moment, we're just sort of having fun and playing around. But at some point, I'd like to really take that seriously and try to also make that part of my, my job. When it comes to um, the worst and building up something like this, have you found it hard to do that in Luxembourg or have you found a lot of support? It was 
remarkably easy. And I think that's just because there was not a whole lot of English language humor and satire at the time. And there's a small community here with who experience a very who have very similar experiences. So in the beginning, I th- would say it's quite easy. And uh, the local media, they've been uh, local journalists, journalists have been really nice to me, and they've shown an interest. So that's that that feels good. It is kind of hard, I think, to sustain that after a while because people are used to having a plethora of choices when it comes to entertainment and um, from abroad, you know, from the US or from the UK or wherever they come from. And so it's kind of hard to uh, win their attention still, I would y- say. Yes, to try to keep the momentum going. Yes. Right, um, yes. And when you're thinking about the future and your work and the children will grow up, they'll be at school, hopefully without COVID, for a little <laughs> bit longer than three to four hours yes. a day. Do you feel proud of what you've achieved? I do because I created something out of nothing, I would say. Although the, the, the humor is there, the material's already there on the streets of Luxembourg. It's in everyone's mind and in everyone's heart. Everyone has these feelings that I sort of tap into them. Not everybody can write about them, though. Yeah, that's true. So maybe I can sort of mine mine the material and refine it. So yeah, yes, I, I, I am proud. It, it feels good. Um, I'm somewhat of a person who doesn't like a whole lot of attention, however. So it's not, I don't exactly go around advertising myself as the Luxembourg first guy. I, I don't know. I just think I've always been that way. But that's that's a wonderful thing as well, to know that you have this hugely creative mind. You are the face, the writing hand behind the worst, and yet you have um, perhaps an, a part of you that's an introvert. Yes, very much so. And I definitely like alone time. I like quiet time. Going out one night a week is like, that's almost too much for me. <laughs> and when it comes to choosing what to write about... Do you know when you have a good story? Does it feel right to you? Or do you have to go through a little list? You keep a, a bedside book. How do you accrue the information? How do you go through it and think, right, this is too close to the edge? How do you write in a list which is going to work? Do you test it on your friends and family? How does it work for you? I don't test it on anyone. Um, my wife is not terribly interested in my articles because she's got her own life and she's she's French, so she's got her French humor, which is a bit different than our what might be called dry Anglo-Saxon humor. Uh, but I do have a, I have a document that's about 100 pages long with just headlines I've thought up or half articles I've written, and they're just sitting there. It's really hard to know what people will like. Did you say 100 pages long? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we have quite a few articles to go. Yes. <laughs> this is very good. This is very good. You have no shortage of material No, no, in that no, case. but uh, I'm not sure how much of it is good. In some cases, I think the most popular articles I've ever written, I didn't think people would like them. I just sort of wrote them quickly and put them on the side. I thought, well, let's put it up and see what happens. Um, there was an article about Irish English becoming the official English within the European Union. Some people thought this was serious. It was taken up, I think, on Twitter by some parts of the Irish government. Yes, that's right. And so, and I, I think everyone who read it within a moment, you know, they knew it was it was satire, and they still they still liked it, and they still shared it. So, with that, I, I had no idea that would become popular. I thought that would possibly cause offense or just go totally unnoticed. <laughs> it certainly didn't. And what have been the highlights? Which have been the best articles? I think the ones that are the best for everybody, for me and for readers, are those that have a, a clear image that catches your attention. So there was one, for example, it's it's not a terribly funny idea, but the picture was funny of the, uh, during the heat wave here in Luxembourg a couple of years ago, I wrote that the Gellifrau had melted and I did a fairly decent uh, Photoshop job of, of it melting, which perhaps offended some people, but anyway. Dolly-esque. <laughs> yeah, Dolly-esque, exactly. She was, and so people knew right away it was a joke, I hope. And it just sort of resonated because it was 
really damn hot here in Luxembourg. And so another one I, I, I did um, during the confinement was that I, I imagined that, you know, there were no more people in, in Kirchberg. And I thought, well, perhaps the, uh, the, you know, the native wildlife have returned. Well, what's native here? Oh, cows, of course. It used to be farms in Kirchberg. So I, I did an article about the cows returning, taking over Kirchberg. But again, I think some people thought this was real. These photos were real. It was a nice Photoshop picture, I believe. But uh, some yeah. people actually thought this was happening. Yes, yes, yes. And then soon after that, a, a local photographer did kind of a, a similar version of that. So then, and they also believed his, his, his work as well. So. And where do you find the photos? Because as you say, they're so intrinsic to people clicking on the article along with the headline. In order of importance, what would it be? Obviously, number one must be the idea, I assume. But then how does the creative process work for you beyond that? I would say that the headline is of utmost importance. Uh, you can have a funny idea, but if the headline isn't short, uh, it doesn't work. And I think the, the joke has to be inside the headline. The angle has to be right there, ready to be consumed. Otherwise, people won't. You know, people give headlines a, a second of their time or half of a second, so they've got to know right away what's going on. Um, I do like I do like photoshopping, uh, although I don't use Photoshop. I use a free program called GIMP, but it's something I enjoy, and I used to like to paint. Um, it's just that I don't have time for that always. So a good headline, a good photograph, and then within the article itself, I would say uh, I try to bury a few surprises in there. I try to make the dialogue a bit funny, the the witness reports, and I often try to have kind of a final joke at the end, like a zinger that's sort of related to the over the overall joke, but it's not goes in another direction. Do you think you'll move this beyond the borders of Luxembourg, thinking about your heritage back in America? Do you ever do points of comparison? I mean, what is it about Luxembourg that in your mind is so different to your homeland? Oh, well, people here dress nicely <laughs> compared to Colorado. Maybe this is most of like most of the US people will. Um, you will see people wearing their pajamas when they go shopping and nobody will bat an eye. And so it's I always feel like here I need to I need to try to make a, a bit of an effort. Um, to stop wearing so many t-shirts and just, you know, put on a shirt with buttons every now and then. So so there's that's a big difference. Of course, the languages, it's just amazing here. Um, in Colorado, if you speak two languages already, you're an anomaly. If you speak three, you know, you must be a linguistics professor. If you speak four, you're some kind of god of languages. <laughs> and so here it's kind of cool. It's just people are so discreet about it. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, speak six languages. Who cares? Yes, yes. But you must be fairly good at French if your wife is French. Uh, <laughs> let's just change the subject. <laughs> I can understand fairly well. I'll put it at <laughs> and one thing I wanted to refer back to is in, in the notes you gave me before we arrived is um, you said you took tidying at home a bit too seriously at the beginning. I loved this line. I'm thinking, gosh, I wish I could employ somebody who took tidying a bit too seriously. <laughs> what does that mean? Oh, boy. Well, after my daughter Jenny was born, um, I took the congé parental for, for six months. So she was, I guess, about a year old. And I wanted to just do it right. So, you know, make sure she was fed well. I would cook all of her food. And yes, I took cleanings really seriously. So I remember occasionally my friend Greg would come over to visit me, hang out with me in the afternoon. And we were just two dudes hanging out and there happened to be a baby there with us, my daughter. But, you know, like if, if she dropped a crumb on the floor, Greg would see me sort of jump up and just sort of dive, get the crumb off the floor. And then I would say something like, oh, I, you know, I've just, I've just cleaned the floor. I've just vacuumed. <laughs> Without trying to impress him, it was just my reactions I had developed. And at some point, he's like, "Dude, chill out, man. What's, it's what's a baby. happened to you? What's happened to you?" And I, and it, indeed, I, I tried to keep our apartment nice then because I also was thinking, "Oh, my daughter's on the floor." And so I did learn to chill out. But at the beginning, I took it like a serious job. That makes me think uh, beyond just cleaning. It makes me think that you have a perfectionist heart within you. Yes, I think you're probably right. I uh, I do spend a, a lot of time on, on details and making sure everything, every detail is right and, and things that I care about. And when it comes to the writing, I suppose that one thing that is very evident in your writing is it's concise. 
everything is concise and every word is chosen well. So when it comes to the fact that you are, were an English teacher and your craft now is writing, do you really think about the words that you use? Yes, I do. And I can spend a few hours sometimes on an article rearranging sentences. And so indeed, and I, I try to remove any excess words, which sounds a bit obsessive, but I think when you read the article, you just want to, you, do, you don't want to have extra paragraphs there that aren't funny or don't mean anything. It's, and I'm the same way when I'm, I'm, I'm not a picky person in general, but like regarding movies and, and novels and things like that, I, I'm really hyper aware of people sort of like wasting our time when they're sort of indulging themselves in their own voice or whatever. And I think, right, stop, get to the point. Cause you know, we, we, we don't have all the time in the world and people who read my articles are, are busy people. So hopefully I can just condense the humor and the, the satire into a short piece. And just beyond that, for your own fun, inspiration, where do you find satire that you enjoy reading or looking at? Well, when I was a child, I uh, used to read Mad Magazine, like a lot of American boys and perhaps some American girls as well, but I think mostly boys read those. So they did a lot of uh, cultural um, satire, a lot of spoofs of movies and things like that. The overall spirit of the of mad magazine was don't take anything too seriously don't take politicians too seriously don't take cultural icons too seriously you know they can all be exposed as ridiculous so that was a lot of fun that inspired me when i was also when i was a boy i like weird al yankovic who is a uh stay still going going today he, he does uh parody songs oh i've never heard of him you, you have oh, to tell us more. oh boy weird al i'll just say weird, weird yeah just go to youtube and uh look up weird al and he's he started in the i think the early 80s um doing uh parodies of of pop songs. And sometimes his songs were better than the originals. Um, so instead of like Michael Jackson's I'm Bad, he did a song called I'm Fat. Instead of um, I Think We're Alone Now, he came up with I Think I'm a Clone Now. <laughs> uh, instead of like a virgin, like a surgeon. Anyway, so that's, those are his early songs. And so early on that, that really, that really got into my brain, like everything is available to be made fun of, basically. But not everybody can do that switch. That's the thing. You obviously have something in you that loves that sort of humor, that sense of humor. And when it comes to humor, do you think that's important? Yes, I think humor is very important. And I think criticism and satire is very important because we, a lot of us have pent up feelings and emotions. And if we can see them expressed by someone else in a, in a funny and a creative way, that just sort of allows us to breathe better, I think, and to, to feel sort of a kinship and say, well, at least someone else out there feels the same way. And um, It pierces that bubble of anger inside one's tummy if you're sitting in traffic or such. Like. Yes, yes. And I think you would probably agree, most expats, most immigrants are kind of happy to be here. But in private, we do, some of us do tend to complain a lot. We've got these frustrations that we wouldn't dare voice in public or to Luxembourgers. And so, and, and it probably goes the other way. I'm sure there are a lot of Luxembourgers who are really treat us well, but in private, they might have a few gripes about the way we act or the way we don't learn their language. And so also what I hope to do is just to sort of give both sides a voice maybe even create a bridge in a way between both sides to say, look, you know, what we're all we're all in here together. We've got frustrations, but they can be funny. We can express them in a funny way. We can talk about them. I also think when it comes to humor, it's engendered within the family dynamics. So mm. did you have a very funny family growing up or do you see it with your children? You know, how do you bring the humor into being a parent? Because I find personally that my humor, my, <laughs> my state of mind can last about four hours before before I can't be oh, yeah. humorous anymore. <laughs> it depends. It depends on the situation. You've got like a, a meter on your... Well, I, there, 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 is a, there is an end point to my humor. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, you'd have to ask my, my family. I, I think my immediate family, my wife and kids would say that I can be funny, but that I'm often, I'm often spacey. 
<laughs> That's products I'm thinking about, things to write about. When I was a child, I wouldn't say my family situation was terribly funny. There were some stresses and some difficulties. Uh, but perhaps because of that, I, I retreated into some sort of imaginary world in which everything was funny. It's a coping mechanism sometimes. It, it, it is. But I was always really interested and attracted to people who could tell good stories. When I was young, I was terribly shy. So I was not, I was not a speaker. I was not trying to get attention. And so perhaps I just sort of began listening to people and looking at people more than others and paying attention to how they spoke. And perhaps that comes out in my writing a bit. It certainly does. Well, you're a super success and we love having your work on RTL today and Worst as well and the videos that you're creating. So any note to the future, any nod to the future of your work or what's in store for you? It seems as though you'll be resident here for quite some time for your children are now attending Luxembourg School and you're, you're really making the here. Yes, yes. It's a lovely country and we we often feel fortunate to live here. And so we will be staying here for a while. Uh, my children uh, are little Luxembourgers. They go to the Luxembourger school. So I do hope to make a transition to either writing, covering more European topics in general, creating sort of a European, uh, English language, European comedy brand or website, and definitely to doing more um, videos, comedy videos and who knows, maybe even writing a, a script at some point, a, a screenplay. Well, That's... we look forward to all of this. John Paul, JP Gomez, thank you so much for your time. And thank for you, Lisa. everything that you do for us at RTL Today. It, it's just always a pleasure to read your work. Thank you, Lisa. Mm-hmm.